Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Good morning. Joining me now for Every Day is Earth Day is Dr. Ned Moen. He is a professor of power electronics in the Department of Electrical Engineering at the University of Minnesota, where he has been teaching for 35 years. He has 13 patents and has written over 200 technical articles. He's actively involved in the area of renewable energy and is working on the next generation of wind generators and storage. Last week, he was here at Minnesota State Mankato as the keynote speaker and did a presentation called Power Engineering Education in the Age of Climate Crisis, a Holistic View. Good morning, Dr. Moen. Uh, Good morning, Karen. Good to talk to you. It's nice to have this opportunity to connect with your audience. Yes, it's very nice to have you on the show, too. Now, you have been teaching for a long time, and talk a little bit about what it is that you teach, because it's the title is, is it's Electrical Engineering, Power Engineering, and I don't exactly know what that means. Well, uh, yeah, I started teaching here in uh, at the end of 1975. So, in fact, this is my 47th year of uh, teaching here at the U of M. And um, my area of teaching is uh, what is called power engineering. And that includes uh, power in a traditional sense. As you see, this uh, high-voltage transmission lines and generators. And nowadays, we are trying to connect... Uh, windmills and photovoltaic stations to them, but then also uh, power electronics, which is uh, kind of an interface between these renewable sources and the utility grid, because utility is AC, and for example, photovoltaics, they produce uh, DC. So what's in between is power electronics. So that is also part of this power, and also electric machines, like in wind turbines, you have, you know, generators, they are electric machines. So all these things combined is uh, what uh, you think of as power. Last week when you were here at Minnesota State to give a presentation for the 22nd Annual IEEE International Conference on Electro-Information Technology, the title of your talk was Power Engineering Education in the Age of Climate Crisis. Why is that part about the climate crisis significant as a part of that presentation? Well, uh, you know, uh, climate is changing. Uh, Now I think uh, almost everyone has accepted that climate is changing because we see that happening. But uh, for the most part, it's changing because of us. The activities that we are doing, burning of fossil fuels, uh, which causes carbon dioxide, which leads to so-called greenhouse effect. So, you know, the solution to that is really making use of these renewables like photovoltaics, uh, solar cells, and uh, wind turbines. And uh, so uh, we have to train new generation of engineers uh, who are well-versed in these type of things. So that our education should be more applicable to the need that we have today. And uh, so that is to combat this uh, changing climate. And uh, so that was the topic of the discussion. Now, you've uh, been teaching for over 30 years. So how has what you've taught 
changed in that time period? Were you thinking about climate change back 30 years ago, or has that gradually come on, or how has that been a part of what you teach? Uh, it, it has changed gradually, because at the time uh, when uh, I started teaching here, uh, of course, uh, electricity we need and everything. It's hard to imagine anything which uh, would work without electricity, you know. So uh, we were teaching it for, you know, industrial applications and uh, all the other things for for home usage, for lighting, for air conditioning, you name it. But as uh, time has gone on, uh, we are more and more aware of this climate crisis and our, you know, education should keep pace with uh, this changing demand, so to speak. So our focus has shifted, uh, you know, quite a bit since then. When did that start shifting? I mean, was there something that sticks out that you realized that we're going to have to focus on a different way to, to teach what you're trying to get across? Well, you know, it's, uh, I would say it started, let's say, 1980, something like that. So I, I was instrumental in getting some grant uh, from the offshoot of Control Data Corporation to install a windmill, very small one, experimental one, at the University of Minnesota campus in St. Paul. So not everybody was convinced that uh, our climate is changing. People thought that these are natural cycles. Climate always changes with these cycles. But uh, I think at this point, you know, everybody is convinced that it's changing very drastically, not 100% are on, are on board, that's because of our activities. But believe me, they will be because changing uh, so dramatically, if you see the, the drought that is going on in the southwest of the U.S., these extreme weather conditions. Like uh, just before this talk I gave in Mankato, there was a hailstorm here where, you know, very big size hail was coming down. That is unimaginable almost at this time of the year in uh, May, you know. So these extreme climate events are because of our changing climate. So some 30 years ago, were there blackouts of the power grid or brownouts, whatever they call them, like we've heard in more in recent years, I think, was it last year in, was it Texas, I believe, they had these terrible power outages and things, and they said we just can't keep up with the, on the power grid. Is that a newer thing, or has that been happening all along? Well, it happened in the past. Uh, I remember I was without electricity for two or three days in Minneapolis, but uh, it is happening with more regularity. And if you look at, uh, you mentioned Texas, you know, there was a power outage, and uh, then uh, it's happening quite a bit in Northern California because of the fires and things like that. So these uh, power outages have become uh, more frequent and uh, of longer duration as uh, time has gone on. So I think that's a concern because, you know, without power, life is almost impossible these days. So we have to make this grid more resilient, you know, so that's part of what we teach. So what sorts of things do you think will help make it more resilient? What's going to need to be done? See, now, I think we should look, take a somewhat of a holistic view that, uh, you know, of course, these renewables are good, like uh, wind and solar, but uh, people have uh, kind of uh, shut their eyes towards uh, nuclear, okay? And that is um, something that we need. Uh, Minnesota is one of the states uh, where we have two 
uh, nuclear power plants. So one is in uh, near Monticello, and the other one is uh, near Red Wing, Prairie Island uh, nuclear power plant. So nuclear is another way of getting electricity without generating these uh, greenhouse gases. So I think uh, we must uh, not, uh, you know, turn our turn our eyes away from nuclear. In as we are uh, talking about these renewables, because these renewables are variable, because we know the wind doesn't always blow and the and sun doesn't always shine. What are we going to do? We have a 24/7 economy, so you know we have to have nuclear in the mix. What do you think the resistance is toward nuclear? Why there isn't more emphasis toward that? I think uh, you know it's uh, really psychological. Because what has happened in the recent years, like Fukushima mm-hmm. in Japan, where there was tsunami and uh, which flooded the, the power plant, and uh, you know the reactor almost melted, and uh, so there's then there was this uh, Chernobyl that mm-hmm. we have heard of in uh, uh, former former Soviet Union, now Ukraine, you know where this Chernobyl is located, and uh, so. Uh, these events have caused uh, kind of a psychological barrier to using renewables. But, uh, you know, uh, the reality today is that nuclear plants are now have much better safety mechanisms. They call it uh, passive uh, controls. So even if you don't do anything, they passively shut down the nuclear plant uh, from, you know, like melting or anything like that. So, and they can also be made more modular in smaller sizes. Uh, so I think, uh, and a lot of countries are developing those, installing them. But in the U.S., uh, we, I don't know if there's a single nuclear plant on the drawing board. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, I think, quite a concern, I would say. How big of a presence would nuclear power plants have in your mind compared with something like a solar or a wind power? Okay, so right now, I think 20% of our electricity we get through nuclear. And uh, these nuclear plants are aging. So, you know, there's a certain age beyond which uh, they have to be retired. And uh, uh, having knowing that, uh, we should be building new ones. So at least uh, we should be providing uh, 20% of our electricity through uh, nuclear uh, in the U.S. And I think Excel, in that sense, is in a good position because uh, these two nuclear plants we have are operated by Excel Energy. And um, so, you know, Minnesota is quite uh, heavily nuclear in that sense. But the whole country should be like that. Do you think that's realistic, though, given the reservations people have? Well, uh, it's a matter of will, right? Uh, political uh, will and policies... Uh, one of the drawbacks, are, not I wouldn't say drawbacks, a stumbling block in using nuclear is what do we do with this radioactive waste? Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you generate, you know, electricity from nuclear, after a while you have to take out these uh, fuel rods, and uh, so what do we do with them? We haven't found a solution uh, in our country. Where other countries like France, in France, 70 to 80 percent of the electricity comes from nuclear. And they have figured out how to store uh, these uh, so-called spent 
fuel, a radioactive waste, uh, in a way that uh, future generations would not be burdened by it. In our country, we have not found a solution. We put in about $11 billion in a project called Yucca Mountain, mm-hmm. where we were going to bury these uh, spent fuel rods underneath. But, uh, you know, there was so much uh, political opposition transporting it to Yucca Mountain that it never came to pass. So I think um, our leaders, our politicians, uh, need to get into the act and realize that uh, uh, what we are facing here, you know. So. so do those other countries just bury it someplace in the middle of nowhere? Is that what they're doing with the spent fuel? Right. So in, in France, they have built, you know, dug this very deep underneath caverns where they are taking the spent fuel and burying them. Uh, France doesn't have any alternative because they have no other sources of generating electricity. So sometimes having options is not a good thing. Okay, It's a strange thing to say, but uh, in this country we have options. Uh, we have so much coal, we can be generating electricity using coal for the next 300 years. But, uh, you know, it will kill us very soon because of this carbon dioxide that it produces. Similarly, we have natural gas. Uh, by fracking, we can almost produce uh, unlimited amount of natural gas. So we have all these options, and uh, all these options that we have are creating these uh, would create these greenhouse gases. Okay, so sometimes when your back is against the wall, you are more likely to act. So they acted, whereas here uh, we have options. So we are still debating. I'm sorry to say that, but that's the truth. Now, in your biography, it says you have 13 patents. Are your patents related to something to do with energy, Dr. Moen? Yeah, yeah, they, they are, you know, in terms of um, making use of electricity. Uh, actually, <laughs> one of the patents uh, we had was uh, used to charge electric vehicle batteries. It was called uh, Minnesota Rectifier. And that Minnesota Rectifier was actually uh, being produced in Southern California for uh, General Motors, uh, they had a car called EV1, like electric vehicle one, EV1. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was somewhat uh, ahead of its time, and it, this was in the mid-1990s. And they had never sold those cars. They were only leased. So they brought back all those cars, and uh, they were shredded in uh, Arizona desert. And uh, there's even a movie called Who Killed the electric car. <laughs> so this is before, now we have electric cars like from Tesla and others, right? So so these patents uh, have been used uh, here and there. Well, now is the Minnesota electrifier, which you just said, that is to generate electricity for cars, is that something that would be practical for today's vehicles? You mentioned it kind of died in the 1990s to bring that back, yeah. or, or were there some problems with it? Well, I think uh, there are no problems, but uh, with uh, advanced technology today, uh, there are better solutions. Oh, okay. okay? So that was uh, applicable at that time for this Minnesota rectifier to charge electric vehicles. But uh, today, I think uh, we have uh, better solutions. And, uh, you know, as technology advances, we will have better and better solutions. We have to keep on doing research and addressing the state of the art. 
What are some of the things that you see? You mentioned nuclear power as a, a potential for the future for the electric, the way to we will get electricity. What are some other things that you think are going to be key for the long term? In the long term, uh, in fact, in, even in short term, uh, we need uh, storage, hmm. storage of electricity and batteries. Okay, so we have batteries, uh, of course, electric vehicles work on batteries, but uh, we need to store electricity on the utility scale. So let's say that, uh, you know, remember what was that called when we had uh, electricity was gone? No, not electricity, but we had very cold temperatures for almost a week, Mm -hmm. you know. So if some event like that were to happen, where the sun is not shining for seven, eight days, and it was so cold that even the wind turbines in the western part of Minnesota were shut down, okay? So if, uh, you know, if you don't have that electricity stored, uh, where is that going to come from? You know, if uh, because renewables like photovoltaic and wind are no longer able to supply anything, and uh, let's say if you don't have nuclear, then uh, only alternative left is uh, having that stored in batteries. So, you know, there's, uh, that's where I think uh, real uh, breakthroughs would come from. I mean, we're working on it here. Are you working on that too, Dr. Mohan? Well, uh, you know, I, so that, that uh, battery advancement, battery development is really uh, somewhat of a different discipline, which goes beyond our oh. expert expertise in our group. But how to connect these batteries? the grid because batteries uh, you know uh, take in and give out a DC direct current and the grid that we have is AC alternative current so the interface between the two is uh, what we call power electronics and that is really our area of specialization so that is correct uh, I have our group is working on that so if I was a student going to be going into electrical engineering, or as you call it, power engineering, how might my coursework look different? Because one of the things I know you were talking about is how we need to change how people are educated in order to advance in this area. Well, the coursework, I think, uh, would be more practical. It'll be more directed towards uh, sustainability and uh, climate uh, solutions. And uh, so it's incredible number of jobs that are available here. So I tell students that, look, uh, if you graduate in this field, uh, you know, we have to, at the end of the day, uh, put food on the table and uh, have a roof over our head. But that is not a problem today for students in this area because for each, I see that a lot of my students have two or three jobs to pick from. So jobs are, you know, going begging to be filled. So to speak. But uh, at the same time, they'll be working on something they are passionate about. So it's not very often that you can combine the two, you know, doing something that you're passionate about and at the same time making money to uh, support yourself. That's my pitch. <laughs> are most schools up to speed in terms of what it needs to educate people for the future in terms of using renewable energy and that sort of thing? Yeah, well, that's really our job. So we have been very fortunate, very grateful that we have been supported by federal agencies for the last 15 years. And we are developing courses and laboratories, and we are disseminating that information uh, free of charge uh, in many cases. 
uh, to any university that uh, would uh, want to adapt it. So what our pitch is that it's not really just a few elite universities. Those elite universities that we all have heard of, uh, they graduate just uh, one or two percent of the, the you know, students or graduates that we need. It really comes down to schools like uh, University of Minnesota, whether in Minneapolis here, in Mankato, or Duluth, you know, all state schools, let's mm-hmm. say, uh, that uh, we all should produce uh, first class, uh, we should provide first class education and graduate students in large numbers. So they, both should happen simultaneously, first class education and large numbers. Do you think that electric cars are ever going to catch on, that there will be a lot of them? Because, I mean, we keep hearing, you know, with gas prices the way they are now, maybe people will finally think, maybe I should do that. But then there's a, things that maybe they feel aren't as good as electric car as the gas-powered are, for example. Well, electric, <laughs> I own an electric car. Okay. And uh, they, are fa- they are fantastic. The only problem is that uh, the range. Mm. So the electric car that I have, Actually, you know, electric power cars have tremendous acceleration, so they are very fun to drive, okay? and they're very quiet, and they almost require no maintenance because there's hardly anything to maintain as such, you know. So the only concern is what is called range anxiety because, mm-hmm. uh, so in my car, the range is actually, in good weather, about uh, 240 miles. So I... I cannot go from here to, let's say, Madison, Wisconsin. That would be a little nerve-wracking because uh, <laughs> it's about 270 miles away. So, you know, so the, but what, what is happening, Karen, is that, uh, you know, automotive companies are making batteries which have a bigger range. And uh, so on one full charge of battery, you should be able to go 300, 400 miles, and once you get there, you charge them again. So, and also, the, we should not forget that uh, most people commute about 10 or 15 miles per day from mm-hmm. home to work. So, you know, if that's the case, we can have so-called uh, plug-in uh, vehicles where you, know, you can uh, drive 10 or 15 miles a day purely on electric, but you can then, you have also a gasoline engine in there, and then the range is un- unlimited. You can go... I mean, gas stations are everywhere, right? So. And one of the statements in some of the info I found about you, it talks about how you feel that we need to create a robust grid to bring the energy from remotely located areas to where the load is. Is that going to be one of your biggest challenges? Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge, I would say, because, see, this um, uh, most renewable energy sources are remotely located. So if you think about uh, our state, a lot of these wind farms we have are in southwestern part of Minnesota, mm-hmm. like Marshall and other places, and also south of Rochester. Okay, so and the load centers we have are like in the Twin Cities over here. So, are these transmission lines that exist are they sufficient? I would say no. We need uh, you know more uh, you know b- bigger grid, so to speak. So that's the challenge that our grid has. Uh, been developed over, you know, almost uh, 80, 90 years, and we need to almost double or triple it if you are going to move towards, uh, let's say, 80% or 100% renewable. So making a grid and therefore 
uh, also, you know, along with uh, we have the job opportunities for for our graduates. So I think uh, it's a good, uh, I would say, good time for students to get into this field. What would you say is the biggest advancement that we've made, and since you've been teaching for over thirty years, in in the past three decades? The biggest. Uh, so I can just say in in my area, uh, the biggest advancement has been the the use of the semiconductor technology that uh, is developed uh, not necessarily in this power area, but uh, again within electrical engineering. And these uh, semiconductor devices are needed to uh, convert uh, electricity from one form to another. So, you know, these semiconductor devices, they act like a switch. Okay, they act like a switch on or off like we think of mechanical switches. Mm-hmm. And uh, so let's say you want to convert from uh, DC, direct current, to AC current. Uh, you know, you take the DC current, you chop it up, and then you sort of uh, shape it to be AC. So, so that has been the biggest uh, change that has taken place over the years, and uh, that is continuing, actually. So they're getting better and better. We have been chatting with Dr. Ned Moen, who is with the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at University of Minnesota. Is there anything else you'd like people to know that you think is important about your topic that you work with? Well, I would like to say that, um, you know, technology alone uh, cannot uh, stop global warming. Okay, human attitudes uh, must change. So whether we are in technology or whatever we are doing, uh, we need to be, uh, you know, having a sustainability uh, mindset. How can we reduce our consumption? How can we have a smaller uh, footprint on this planet? And uh, so that, uh, you know, translates to almost everything we do. Conservation. Conservation is small. It's, It's a big deal. Not small. It's a big deal. Right? And also our eating habits and how we uh, how we live our travel has a large footprint so you know we should uh, you know we, we still have to travel but uh, in a very judicious way so and also our frugality let's not buy things that we don't need so i tell my students that this uh, pen that i have quantum pen my pen this has embedded energy it took some energy to make this pen and if I just uh, frivolously uh, throw it out and lose it, I have lost that energy. So, you know, if we have that kind of mindset to uh, not waste just about in every arena, I think that would be a very, very good thing for us. That sounds like great advice. I want to thank you for your time, Dr. Ned Moen with the University of Minnesota. We appreciate you talking with us about this important topic and all the best to you in your future research. Okay, thank you so much, Karen. I really enjoyed talking to you. Bye-bye. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org.